Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Joshua Chaden. And I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. For those of you who are new to the program, we're an inclusive direct action group of LGBTQ people and their allies committed to nonviolently breaking the gun industry chain of death. That means investors, manufacturers, the NRA, and politicians who block safer gun laws. That's right, Sarah. We work to ensure safety for all individuals, particularly those that are vulnerable communities, such as women of color, women of all types, people who struggle (laughs) with mental health issues, LGBTQ people, and religious minorities. GAG condemns white supremacy, all instances of excessive force by police, and police militarization. Josh, we're only three weeks away from Election Day, if you can believe it. I can't. Yeah, it's too much. (laughs) This week, we'll share the latest in gun violence prevention news, honor a life well-lived and lost to gun violence, and how Americans could be impacted by violent rhetoric and guns at the polls. We're thrilled to have you all join us. First up, we have the latest gun violence prevention news. Take it away, Sarah. Michigan and Virginia plot. This is from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Members of anti-government paramilitary groups discussed kidnapping Virginia's governor during a June meeting in Ohio. An FBI agent testified Tuesday during a court hearing in Michigan. Special Agent Richard Trask also revealed more detail about the investigators' use of confidential informants under cover agents and encrypted communication to arrest and charge six men last week with plotting to kidnap Michigan's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Tuesday's court hearing was to review investigators' evidence against Adam Fox, Ty Garbin, Caleb Franks, Daniel Harris, and Brandon Caserta, and whether they should be detained before trial. The men are all Michigan residents. A sixth man, Barry Croft, was being held in Delaware. The June meeting was part of the FBI's investigation of various anti-government... <laughs> no, the militia is not coming in here. It's earth-shattering. <laughs> it's earth-shattering. But, uh, I just got to tell our listeners that right now in our home studio, we're having a little bit of cat drama. So if it continues, <laughs> I will eliminate the cat. <laughs> But uh, we're talking about news that's very important and and very serious here. And this is a plot uh, to kidnap Michigan's Democratic Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer. So the June meeting was part of the FBI's investigation of various anti-government groups, leading to the month-long case in Michigan relying on confidential sources, undercover agents, and clandestine recordings to foil the alleged kidnapping conspiracy. It was not immediately clear whether talk of targeting Virginia's Virginia's Democratic governor went beyond the June meeting of the anti-government groups in Dublin, Ohio. That is Virginia's governor, Ralph Northam. Trask said members of the anti-government groups from four or five states attended that meeting. They discussed possible targets, 
taking a sitting governor, specifically issues with the governor of Michigan and Virginia, based on lockdown orders, Trask said. He said the people at the meeting were unhappy with the governor's responses to the coronavirus pandemic. Trask did not discuss further planning aimed at Northam. Now, President Trump had urged supporters to liberate Michigan, Virginia, and Minnesota in a series of tweets in April, encouraging protesters who turned up at state capitals to oppose restrictions aimed at minimizing the spread of the virus. In the Michigan case, authorities said the men were trying to retaliate against Whitmer due to what they viewed as her uncontrolled power during the coronavirus pandemic. They said four of the men had planned to meet last week to pay for explosives and exchange tactical gear. The Michigan State Capitol has been the site of many rallies, including ones with gun-toting protesters calling for her ouster. The defendants face up to life in prison if convicted. Seven others linked to a paramilitary group called the Wolverine Watchmen were charged in state court for allegedly seeking to storm the Michigan Capitol and provide material support for terrorist acts by seeking a civil war. The investigation is ongoing. Our next piece comes from NPR. Gun control groups voice, quote, grave concerns about Supreme Court nominee's record. President Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court says she shares the outlook of her mentor, the late Justice Antonin Scalia. But on the issue of the Second Amendment, Amy Coney Barrett seems to have staked out an even more conservative position. This could mean that big changes to gun control laws could be on the way if Barrett gets confirmed. In 2008, the Supreme Court ruled people have a right to keep handguns at home to defend themselves. Since that time, the high court has mostly avoided taking on new gun cases, refusing to hear 10 such lawsuits since June alone. But if Barrett wins Senate confirmation, the court's approach to the Second Amendment could be in for a big shift. In 2019, in a case before the 7th U.S. Citrus, Circuit Court of Appeals, Barrett laid out her thinking about gun rights. That's a tongue twister. UCLA law professor Adam Winkler took note. The opinion is very revelatory, Winkler said. It really shows that she has a very expansive view of gun rights, likely one even broader than Justice Antonin Scalia. Scalia, of course, wrote the majority opinion in the big Second Amendment case, District of Columbia versus Heller, back in 2008. But Scalia made clear that nothing in the decision should cast doubt on longstanding limits to protect public safety, such as a ban on convicted felons possessing firearms. And in 2019, his protege, Barrett, wrote that, blanket ban by, wrote that the blanket ban violated the Second Amendment. The Seventh Circuit case, Cantor v. Barr, involved a man convicted of one count of mail fraud, Ricky Cantor, who ran a company called Dr. Comfort, served his time and wanted his gun rights back. The court majority rejected the idea, but Barrett produced a 37-page dissent, tracing the history of the Second Amendment and the history of punishing convicted felons. Her so-called originalist approach to the Second Amendment could throw into question a lot of newer laws on the books, from prohibitions on machine guns to the so-called red flag laws in at least 20 states that allow authorities or relatives to ask for court permission to remove weapons from people who represent a danger to either themselves and or others. We only started banning machine guns from civilian hands in the 80s, Professor Winkler said. Does that mean that there is a constitutional right to have machine guns because there's no strong historical precedent for banning those weapons? It's a great question, right? 
It's important for our listeners to note also that an overwhelming percentage of Americans support the existing background check system for firearm purchases, which has stopped more than 3 million people from buying guns. And most Americans understand that the background check system uh, stops felons from getting guns. Judge Coney Barrett's nomination makes clear what's at risk here, chipping away at Americans' already limited protections against gun violence. And that, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's deep. It goes deeper than that. <laughs> our deep last news piece. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. And now our last news piece is courtesy of our fellow gagger, Trisha Cook. In light of recent school openings, we thought that we'd revisit the subject of active shooter drills in our classrooms. Um, Reggie, uh, if you can drop that clip. A report from Everytown Research and Policy finds that schools' active shooter drills lead to a 42% increase in anxiety and a 39% increase in depression in the school community. The study included students, teachers, and parents. Active shooter drills have supplanted natural disaster drills as the most common preparedness exercise in American schools. Over 95% of K-12 schools in this country conduct the drills, affecting the mental health of the entire school community. There's little proof that these drills are effective and some evidence that they might, in fact, be used by shooters to help carry out an attack. Thus, deaths from school shootings are relatively rare. They make up less than 1% of the 40,000 annual gun deaths in this country. The drills are a dubious answer to the threat of school violence and the only lasting effect they have is the emotional harm they inarguably create. Be sure, uh, be sure to watch this space. Um, this is our weekly roundup of gun violence prevention news. Um, and now each week at this time, we remember and honor a person whose life was taken as a result of gun violence. This week, our friend and fellow gagger, Ty Sersley, honors the life and legacy of Brooklyn Smith. Take it away, Reggie, for our next clip. In memoriam, Brooklyn Deshauna Smith was killed in Shreveport, Louisiana on October 7, 2020, in her apartment complex. The cause of death was at least one gunshot. Brooklyn was a 20-year-old black trans woman. Brooklyn Smith was born and raised in Shreveport, Louisiana. She studied cosmetology at Bossier Parish Community College and had worked as a call center agent. Her social media was full of positivity, good humor, and family support, the typical content you expect from a 20-year-old young woman. She was vibrant and eager to embrace what the world had to offer. Brooklyn had turned 20 on September 20th, 2020. She celebrated with loved ones. Brooklyn, or Brooke as she was known, is the 32nd trans and gender non-conforming person murdered to date in 2020 in the United States. She is the 21st black trans person and the 20th black trans woman murdered. She's the fifth person from Louisiana, all of whom were black trans women. Brooklyn Smith, we remember you. Photos and stories of the lives we honor at the beginning of each show are posted on our Instagram, Gaze Against Guns New York, and Gag has a dedicated page on Facebook, Gag Human Beings. Gaze Against Guns is committed to honoring, with respect and care, the many lives taken by gun violence. Thanks so much, Ty. Yeah. 
Did you see the pictures of her on Facebook? I did. I did. She, she, looks, she looks so beautiful. sweet, right? Yeah, gorgeous eyes. And honestly, she could have been one of my students. <sighs> okay. So election season is underway, with over 10 million people already casting their ballots. So far, at least 11 states have reached or exceeded 50% of their total early vote in 2016. Four states have surpassed those levels. And while many Democrats and independents are heralding this as a win for the democratic process, Republicans led by President Trump are actively undermining the process, even going so far as to call on their supporters to head to the polls as an army of poll watchers. Josh, you've investigated more on this in this year's election. So you can tell us how it relates to a historical pattern of voter suppression in American politics. Yeah, I can. And I think what we should do is sort of reframe this in the context of what's been happening in this election cycle, right? Um, concerns are growing over possible confrontations at polling places um, due to, of course, partisan divides that we are facing, um, but also with the baseless claims that Democrats will steal this election. And we've arrived at this moment in large part due to who else? President Trump and his inflammatory rhetoric and his administration's uh, strategy around what he's calling the most uh, rigged election in history, right? I mean, we've all seen the tweets. We've all read the articles, we've seen the clips of his rallies, and we've shared all the memes. I know Sarah and I, in our gag family um, Facebook messenger group, we throw around those memes quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't something to laugh about, and it's not unique to Trump and the dumpster fire that is 2020. Far from it. There's a long and shameful history in this country of armed officers, whether on duty or off, and private citizen vigilantes targeting black voters and other voters of color, in particular for intimidation at the polls. Their mere presence at polling sites understandably raises fear among groups of people who are frequently the targets of police misconduct or racial profiling. And laws at the local, state, and federal levels are crystal clear. It's illegal to deploy federal troops or armed federal law enforcement officers to any polling place. State and local laws place limits on the role of uh, law enforcement and registered poll watchers as well. And certain federal and state laws even carry severe, severe criminal penalties for anyone uh, who prevents uh, harassing or intimidating voters. So it prevents anyone from doing that. Generations of intimidation of voters and election interference um, have led us here and to the passage of these laws. And of course, the most far reaching of those is the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Uh, that's the landmark piece of federal legislation that prohibits uh, racial discrimination in voting. Challenges remain, though, due in part to Shelby v. Heller, which is uh, Holder, rather, which is the landmark Supreme Court ruling in 2013 that has since made it easier for state officials to make it harder for BIPOC voters to vote. And now the Trump campaign has taken a page out of the Republican Party playbook of voter intimidation by calling on citizens and groups to flock to the polls and not just vote, but to watch. Their strategy harkens back to groups like the National Ballot Security Task Force, founded by the Republican National Committee, or RNC, in New Jersey in 1981, 
as a means of intimidating voters and discouraging voter turnout among likely Democratic voters. The task force consisted of armed off-duty police officers wearing armbands, uh, that's freaky, who were hired to patrol polling sites in African-American and Hispanic neighborhoods of Newark and Trenton. I think any time an armband comes in to play, um, you start thinking 1939 (laughs) and, uh, yeah. Um, and that led to Democrats calling on the RNC and New Jersey Republican state committee, um, to stop this. And it led to a consent decree in 1982, which barred them from engaging in further conduct such as this, but that actually expired three years ago in 2017. So now enter Trump's army. It's literally called Trump's army. Uh, It's an election day polling, poll watching operation in key battleground states that's now engaged in training sessions, uh, preparing volunteers for watching the voting process unfold. The Trump campaign maintains it'll be a force of 50,000 supporters who will spend hours quietly eyeballing voters, uh, ready to summon attorneys when they determine something is amiss. Now, this is not uncommon. Poll watching and is a part of the election process. However, um, poll watchers are commonly registered through boards of elections. Uh, legal, legal experts have actually taken a look and reviewed videos of the Trump campaign and the training sessions um, and say that the instructors are using all the right language, but that it may yield the wrong results. Um, one of the major concerns about poll watching is that it will still lead intentionally or not to voter intimidation, says Sean Morales Doyle, the deputy director of voting rights and election programs at the Brennan Center for Justice. He says an army doesn't sound like people just there to observe. An army sounds like people there to engage in war with the enemy. Now, the Biden campaign, for its part, is organizing to have a presence at precincts in 21 key lo- key states and is backstopped by a legal team that includes uh, none other than former Attorney General Eric Holder. Um, But the widespread presence of Republican poll watchers at polling sites this year will be something entirely new. And with the president calling on supporters to enlist in an army of poll watchers, while also calling on groups like the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, we've got a recipe for a disaster, don't we, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. In five battleground states where these operations are taking place by both parties, there aren't actually laws prohibiting people from carrying guns into or near polling places. A recent study by our friends at the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence and Guns Down America examined polling laws in Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Uh, And they found that some states have laws or municipal ordinances that forbid guns in types of places that often serve as polling places like churches and schools. Um, But as we've already seen in the recent days of early voting across the country, large numbers of voters will essentially render these laws um, and governing actions within a certain distance of entrances to polling places useless because if the lines are stretching, you know, hundreds of feet out of the doors, all of those laws go out the window. In New York City, for instance, 100 feet outside of a polling place is considered the distance um, that you need to keep if you're, quote unquote, electioneering or advocating for a certain candidate. 
Yep, I remember having to stand even further or across the street further away when I was helping with a campaign uh, last year in the spring. Exactly, exactly right. Um, so I guess what I could say is what can we do as individual voters that are intimidated by this possible confrontation? Um, I would say vote early or by mail. Although some states' voter registration and mail-in ballots have passed, many have not. So you can visit a nonpartisan website like vote.org to find more information on how to make your voting plan. Thanks. Key message there, yeah. Wow. Thanks for the lowdown on poll watchers. Okay. So now we are ready to ask you to be sure to tune in next week when we're going to continue our discussion around this year's election with a feature on NRA puppets in Congress that should be held to account for their cozying up to the NRA and the gun lobby. And you are listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show, here on listener-sponsored, commercial-free, Radio WBAI 99.5 FM. We are here every Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m., bringing you the latest from the gun violence prevention movement. That's right. Gays Against Guns is also urging our listeners to keep free speech radio alive by rushing a tax-deductible donation over to WBAI 99.5 FM. You'll not only continue to enjoy the stellar broadcasting, but you'll receive goodies like a stylish WBAI logo face mask as a thank you. Yeah, so don't forget, you are not powerless. You can log on to WBAI.org or go old school and send in a check made payable to WBAI Pacifica to 388 Atlantic Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 112. One seven. So again, visit WBAI.org for more information and become a WBAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Go for and, it. Uh, yeah, go for it. And let's keep the pitching going. How about it, Sarah? So to find out more about becoming a member of Gag, please go to gazeagainstguns.net. That's our website. Or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram and Gag No Guns on Twitter. You're also welcome to any of our member meetings that take place every other Thursday, now via Zoom. We're so excited to host our member meetings online. It's a great break in your day to get together with people who are really doing something about gun violence and supporting each other. So please join us. And for more information about how to attend member meetings, check us out on our social media platforms. Our next meeting is actually next Thursday, October 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And as always, we plan direct actions and join demonstrations on the regular. So please join us. Everybody is welcome. We want you. We need you. Join us. Join us. Join us. So now it's time to finish the show with our hell yeahs when we hell celebrate yeah. some of our favorite sheroes and heroes of the week. Yeah, and uh, I'd say a big hell yeah to the activist group, Queens of the Night, for once again taking to the streets under the dark of night to call for an end to the iron pipeline and gun trafficking. Hell, hell yeah. yeah! Hell yeah! Woo and a huge hell yeah to Kamala Harris for representing Black women and the rest of us on the 2020 Democratic ticket and for not swatting the fly. 
Hell yeah. yeah. I love, I got my fly swatter, by the way. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m. here on listener-sponsored free radio WBAI. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And we leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise, with their now famous rendition of Vote. I Enjoy. love this one. It's my favorite. Oh, my God. Yes, I'm going to dance to this whole song, and I invite everybody else to, too. <laughs> Me, too. Bye now. Bye, listeners. Bye, Sarah. So long. Take care. You showed the way. Mandela, Gandhi G, dreamed the world and it came to be. They had guts, they had brains. Cesar Chavez broke our chains. Harvey, Edie, Adrienne. Ask Obama, yes we can. Ladies with an attitude, fellows who are really stewed. Don't just stand there, let's get to it. Strike a blow, there's nothing to it. Vote.
strike a blow. Vote.